All financial advice provided on this show is for entertainment and educational purposes only. The financial ideas and strategies discussed are only provided as a starting point for a conversation about money matters. With regard to your particular investments and financial strategies, consult your financial planner, CPA, or investment professional. All your financial decisions are yours and yours alone to make and subsequently are solely your responsibility. The information that is supplied through the context of the radio program and any repurposing of its content by the host or network is a combination and collection of solid financial investment understanding, opinion, and comments. This network, show, and its host are not liable for financial strategies, outcomes that you employ in any manner that result in any kind of loss. Shares of corporate sponsors may be the subject of buy or sell recommendations in Jay Taylor's newsletter in accordance with Jay's objective opinion. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. This hour will help investors fix issues and achieve personal gain. Now, here's your host, Jay Taylor. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor, speaking to you on this, the 31st day of January 2017. I like to remind you each and every week that I am not only the host of this show, but also write a newsletter called Jay Taylor's Gold Energy and Tech Stocks. And you can subscribe to my letter by going to miningstocks.com or call our office here in New York anytime during normal work hours at 718-457-1426, 718-457-1426. It is indeed a very exciting time uh, for the junior mining sector. Today, the shares are up very, very strongly on some, uh, well, some rhetoric coming out of the Trump administration suggesting they'd like to see a weaker dollar. We'll be talking more about that as the uh, show progresses. Um, I would like to encourage you to continue sending along your uh, questions and criticisms, praises, uh, whatever, to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com, questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. I should mention also uh, that Chen Lin and I continue to work together, though not as, uh, not as directly as we did before, and I'd like you to continue to take a look at what is Chen buying, what is Chen selling. Chen will be on this show from time to time. Um, he is... Um, has an amazing track record. He continues to focus on energy, biotech, and the mining sector. And he passed along to me today uh, a comment that uh, with gold over $1,200 again, uh, his palladium stocks are really doing extremely well. Uh, and he also sees a major breakout for silver. So that's uh, those are a couple of Chen's main thoughts right now. Uh, and uh, you should go to ChenPicks.com, ChenPicks.com, uh, to sign up for Chen's newsletter. I want to thank each of you for listening to this show. And uh, again, uh, send your questions uh, along to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com uh, and follow me on Twitter at jtaylormedia. Now, I um, do want to thank our sponsors for making this show economically viable. Our sponsors for today's show, Dinosaur Inc., Golden Predator, Chilean Metals, Aravista, Aran um, Resources, and Novo Resources. And I might just say uh, that... Um, RN Resources has really started to move very dramatically higher, has, as has Golden Predator. But both of them, I think, are still, uh, their moves are still in, the inf- in their infancy. Uh, I expect lots more to go. I'm very bullish on all of these uh, stocks, all of these uh, sponsors that we have now. Uh, not because uh, they are sponsors and, and helping to pay for the show, but actually uh, they were all selections of mine for my newsletter long before they became uh, sponsors of this show. I did meet with Arvista up in Vancouver last weekend, uh, and um, one of the questions for a panel that I was on was, uh, which of the companies that are here at the fo- at the uh, forum would you most want to see 
uh, would be your top pick, and I had to say Arvista without any without any doubt about it. Um, it is an exciting company, and they put out some news today suggesting that a couple of their targets uh, in Argentina are um, yes, in Argentina are very very large, a uh, large scale uh, uh, targets, and we will be talking to Ivan Bebek sometime in the near future. Again, I'm sure. So uh, that, but it, but the whole this this uh, industry is very exciting now because I believe we're in the sweet spot or starting to get, be in the sweet spot for the gold mining shares. Uh, I should mention that the uh, that the event that was held, uh, the Metals Investor Forum that was held uh, on Friday and Saturday of last weekend at the Rosewood Georgia Hotel uh, in downtown Vancouver was indeed a smashing success. Not only where there's some extremely exciting companies there, RN being just one of them. Uh, but given the limited space uh, for, the, for this venue, uh, pre-registration had to be uh, suspended and people put their names on a waiting list. So I'm, I'm mentioning this only because there will be another show coming up in May, uh, May 5th and 6th to be precise. And uh, I will be giving you an opportunity or uh, telling you where to go to sign up for that show in the near future. If you're able to go, I would strongly urge you to go there. I was able to, I uh, did see quite a few listeners to the show at the, uh, uh, at the, uh, at the event last weekend in Vancouver at the Metals Investor Forum. Uh, and it's always a pleasure to meet up with people who listen to this show uh, to get their thoughts and opinions about it. Um, I am indeed very excited about the junior sector, as I said. And, and I think, you know, today the big move in gold, the decline in the dollar was very much uh, had to do with some of the remarks that came out of the Trump administration, uh, specifically the uh, trade representative uh, or advisor to the Trump administration, suggesting that the euro uh, was too expensive or, or was too cheap, I should say. Uh, and so he was he was talking down the dollar and talking up the euro. Remember, of course, that 50% of the dollar index is comprised of, of the euro. And so as the euro goes, the dollar goes to a great extent. Uh, also, uh, Donald Trump himself apparently made some comments uh, suggesting that both China and uh, that both China and uh, and um, that both China and Japan were um, were manipulating their currencies, and um, and that also uh, I think is being taken very hard by a lot of a lot of people around the world. Uh, the strong dollar policy that has been uh, the so the official policy uh, going back to the Clinton days. Uh, it could be that that is over. We'll wait and see. And but if it is, it certainly uh, is uh, is a big change of events, and and certainly would seem to be extremely bullish for gold. Well, I've titled today's show "Who Wins the Impending Trump Yellen Brawl," and John Rubino and Michael Oliver will return. The assumption underlying the question for today's show is that Donald Trump will want and need a cheaper dollar to bring higher-paying, wealth-creating jobs back to America. Meantime, Janet Yellen and even the most dovish Fed members have been calling for higher rates, arguing falsely, I believe, that the economy is getting stronger and thus requiring higher rates. Not just one or two rates, but they're talking about several rates, rate rises, uh, apparently, that came out of the Fed recently. Uh, but the Trump administration, as I said, didn't really wait to tangle with, uh, uh, with Janet Yellen. Instead, as, uh, as I mentioned, the word came out of the uh, Trump administration today suggesting that uh, we need to have a weaker dollar and a stronger euro. And uh, in fact, that caused the dollar index to break through to the bottom of uh, one dollar 
uh, for the first time, I believe, since back in November of 2016. As, uh, so we're going to be talking to Michael Oliver in a little while about that, uh, other issues. And, of course, Michael always remains objective. He looks at the charts and he lets the charts do his talking. Uh, he, it would seem as though, and we want to recheck with him on this, but it would seem as though uh, we have broken through some of the very key uh, support and um, support levels and, and resistance levels on the upside. Um, so we want to ask him about that and find out where we're at and, and where he thinks we're heading based on his chart, uh, his momentum chart uh, indications. Um, certainly, if the Fed has its way, uh, we're likely to see higher rates. It seems that. It seems that uh, to be the case anyway. And a stronger dollar, which would all but guarantee, I think, a real fistfight between Trump and Janet Yellen and the Federal Reserve. Uh, but, you know, we want to talk to John Rubino as well about that. At half past the hour, John will be joining us to get his take on uh, which way he thinks these major markets are going to turn. Uh, but uh, as I mentioned, Michael Oliver will be with us. We are going to go to a commercial break right now. And when we come back, uh, I expect uh, we'll hear what Michael has to say about some of these key levels uh, that he's been talking to us about. It really does seem to me as if we are now uh, starting to see the sort of major plate shifts. Uh, you know, like the major uh, geological plates grind and move very, very slowly. Uh, Michael's been talking about this over the past year or so, and um, you know, I suppose some people are saying, "Yeah, well, when's it going to happen, Michael?" Well, it seems to me today we've we've seen some major um, a major move that would indicate that um, well, we may be very close. In fact, maybe these major moves with gold to the upside, commodities to the upside, the dollar down, other currencies up, uh, stocks down, bonds ultimately down, although counter trend rally now, uh, it seems as though some of these major tectonic shifts, major market changes may be underway. But we'll be back uh, right after the commercial break with Michael Oliver uh, to see what his latest thoughts are on these, on these issues. Don't go away. We'll be right back with Michael Oliver. comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Oren Resources is a Canadian-based gold exploration company focused on the company's flagship Committee Bay project located in northern Canada, one of the best mining jurisdictions in the world. The company's current resource outlined by drilling thus far stands at 1.1 million ounces of gold at over 8 grams per ton. Oren is operated by the same team that founded Asenko Gold, which is constructing a major gold mine in West Africa, and Caden Resources, which was recently purchased in November for over two. $200 million. Golden Predator Mining Corp., a well-financed gold exploration company operating in Canada's Yukon. Focused on advancing its three aces project, a high-grade gold project located in the southeast Yukon with gold and quartz outcrops at surface. Ongoing work includes trenching, road work, drilling, and bulk sampling. Golden Predator also holds the past-producing Brewery Creek project located near Dawson City, Yukon. Golden Predator, a company working closely with Yukon First Nations. Golden Predator trades on the Canadian venture market as GPY and in the USOTC market as NTGSF. 
Chilean Metals is a Canadian junior exploration company focusing on high potential copper, gold prospects in Chile and Canada. Chilean Metals Zulima property is a Candelaria-like prospect, one of the largest mines in the world. The company has begun its drill program in Chile on a Zulima property and should be completed by the end of February. We also own a 3% royalty on future production on Tech Resources Copa Query property, potentially worth millions of dollars annually. This is the time to invest in Chilean Metals, a discovery story with a hedge. Traded TSX Venture under symbol CMX. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. listening to turning hard times into good times with your host jay taylor if you have a question or comment about today's show jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790 that's 1-866-472-5790 you can also send an email to questions taylor at gmail.com that's questions the number four taylor at gmail.com now back to our program Welcome back to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I am your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm really glad uh, to have Michael Oliver back with me again. Thanks for joining me, Michael. Great to be back, Jay. As I like to tell my listeners every time we have you here, they should go to olivermsa.com, olivermsa.com, to learn more about Michael's work and to sign up for his letter. Well, um, I should also mention that uh, I, I saw this very excellent uh, video interview of you, Michael, with I guess it's uh, is it Real TV, um, Real Real Vision, Real Vision TV. Mm-hmm. It was excellent, yeah. and I would like to tell my listeners to go to miningstocks.com, miningstocks.com. Uh, I put uh, I put the link to that interview with Michael, and if you really those of you who listen to Michael here on the show almost every week and want to know more about him and his history and and what lies behind his methodology, I think. Uh, this is an excellent interview to watch, uh, and just go to miningstocks.com, and you'll see near the, I think it's the very top link, in fact, uh, on the bottom section on my homepage at miningstocks.com. Uh, click on that, and it'll take you right to this excellent interview, and it is about an hour long, Michael, I believe, isn't it? So it's That's it's good. very in-depth, and I think if, if, you're, if, you're a, if, if you're a Michael Oliver fan, it's something you don't want to miss. So, um, Michael... This is really quite a move we're seeing today in the dollar, um, in gold, and some other things. Um, what, what are your thoughts now? Have we have we seen uh, a real shift? Can we can we say now with def- with certainty that the dollar is in a bear market, or, or we no, need to see I, a little I, I wish I could. <laughs> the euro, I think you can make. The, I look at them both uh, because mm-hmm. first off, euros fifty seven percent of the dollar index. So it's like having the Dow 30 where one stock is 57%. Okay, so you've got to watch the euro. Euro has crossed levels today in the futures markets, credibly crossed levels that I'd specified at the close of last year. They would indicate to me that its annual momentum has turned up. Okay, that's done. Check it off. But I like a chorus, you know, two, three, trio, whatever. Uh, But in this case, I want the dollar to break through a level below it that credibly tells me its major trend has turned down, and that's 99 or lower, especially on a monthly closing basis. You're making your lows for the month today, down around 99.40s. 
but it's not uh, not below 99 on the dollar cash index. So it is not quite cross the line. It is definitely close. It's playing with dynamite. So I I have to say no. Nope, I got one of them crossed. The other is close. Uh, maybe next month that'll happen. Now there'll be a point where I don't wait for a monthly close because sometimes months can be pretty dramatic. You know, you, you break and you don't wait for the close. You know, you've, mm-hmm. you've done enough damage where you start to collapse. I'll come up with a number to cover that for the month of February. But basically, yeah, I think the shift is underway there. Now, if, if, the, if the Forex markets come out of their sleep, and the dollar and the euro last year were sleepy. They were 10% ranges, and they went up, down, up, down, up, down, really trendless. Um, and I think they're waking up, and I think the euro is going up and the dollar is going down. I just want that extra bit of evidence from the dollar index. Uh, another piece of evidence that came through today, in my opinion, was the EEM, which is the ETF for the emerging markets. The emerge, if people have to be in the stock market, and I, I argue there's four lovely asset categories out there that are very big, and they all have ETFs, so they all have futures. There's no reason to strap yourself into any single one of them, like stocks. Mm-hmm. That's an ancient myth. Uh, but if you have to be in stocks, uh, do you remember years ago, maybe five or six, where emerging markets were the place to be? Mm-hmm. Uh, that soured, and that soured from the 2011 high, and that was coincident with a major peak in commodities. So the emerging markets went down, the EEM went down, all the while the S&P went up. Just total opposites. Uh, and the EM was very much reflective of the decline in commodity prices. Makes some sense because many of the emerging market countries produce commodities and are heavily dependent upon commodity-based revenue. So the EEM today, the end of the month, has broken out, in my view, on annual momentum, which is a significant trend change. That further adds evidence to MSA's argument that commodities are turning up. Last year, the commodity asset category turned, parts of it turned, primarily oil, gold, sugar. Uh, About half of the commodity complex turned upward in a way that I considered major. However, foods, uh, grains, meats, uh, and, and a few other things in the ag sector did not. They laid on their back. I think that's their turn this year, and I'm watching for a breakout there. I don't quite have enough evidence yet with the January action, that the grain complex is ready to fully turn. It may be, but it didn't cross enough of my numbers, and I'm very number-specific. But I think that's where you're going to get the action this year in the commodity area. That's another part of the tectonic plate to watch. Um, The debt markets, we had some more evidence today, negative, uh, meaning higher yields. The Japanese government bond, and as we know of all the developed countries in the world, the JGB, the Japanese government bonds, have the greatest debt, government debt to GDP ratio of any major developed economy. Uh, and their bonds were down like a 0% yield, which is ridiculous. Problem is the JGB futures closed today below 150. That broke a major level, uh, a, secondary, a second signal for them that it indicates higher yields to come in Japan, which then puts them in the same category as RT bonds, which broke down in October. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's price I'm speaking of. Uh, mm-hmm. The Italian debt market is something to watch in the debt markets. Its yields are rising, prices falling, indicates that Draghi's efforts to take its yield and suppress it to a level that was actually below the, the yield of the comparable duration debt instrument, the U.S. 10-year bond, 10-year note here, compared to the 10-year Italian bond. They got, mm. He got the yields below ours. Mm. Now, that makes a lot of sense, I know, but... 
<laughs> that is changing. So the technicals there say, uh-oh, the central bank control over low interest rates is coming undone. So mm-hmm. we're seeing lots of plate movement uh, with a few marginal things left to complete the picture. But basically, I think it's all coming together. All right. So we got the T-bond, though, on the other hand, I believe is rallying today as the money is coming out of the equity markets. This is sort of the counter trend rally that you've been talking yes. about, I guess. Yeah, I, I've expected that. I mean, the bonds dropped. We had a 166 level on the T-bond futures as a sell area. They dropped to 148 in about two months. We thought at that point they did a little too much too fast, and though they're going a lot lower, a lot higher in yields, but a lot lower in price, they're deserving of a counter-trend rally. We suspected that the best way to get that counter-trend rally is to break the stock market. Now, the stock market is toying with some trading breakage numbers that I've got, but it hasn't really broken them yet. Uh, uh, but I, I'm, I'm, the stock market is really, if I had to define it, pardon me for the, using this term, it's the dumbest of all the categories. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's it's going to be the last one to indicate trend change. And I think that may have to do with psychology of investors or something like that. But uh, uh, many of the other asset categories are indicating the major trend shifts. And I think they will drag the stock market kicking and screaming downside uh, once the reality dawns that investor preferences have shifted toward commodities away from stocks, investor uh, being long bonds is over with, we're headed for higher rates, and so forth. And then when the stocks get that message, uh, it should become obvious, but uh, there's right. a lag right now. Well, higher rates uh, should be bearish for gold, but today we're seeing gold with the weaker dollar breaking mm-hmm. out. Now, Michael, I think you were talking, perhaps the last time we had you on, something like um, 1190 as being sort of a key, if you could see something above that level by en- by the end of the month, that would at least um, relieve you of any concerns about a major decline from here in gold. Do I have that right? Yeah, that, that, it wasn't a, a breakout number so much as it was. Let's let's put it this way: we had a sharp correction in an up in, a, in an emergent bull market. The bull mm-hmm. market began in February. It shot up a couple hundred dollars. It retraced back down to what I considered annual momentum support, and it stopped precisely where it needed to, within $4 of a number I did not want to see, and has since rallied $100 off that low. It did close the month right now, at least. We're well over 1200 So we're, we're, we're back over the three-year average, which is just above 1190 which is, a, it's, while it's not a breakout, it's, it's like a guy putting his elbow up over the curbstone. You know, I'm uh-huh. safe, okay? That, 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 in effect, is what I consider that to be. There are some other numbers that uh, I'll work with over the weekend, uh, uh, or after today's close, that is a monthly close, that will indicate further upside. Uh, the one number that in particular that, that lingers out there is uh, 1309. That's way up there. That's uh, $90 above the market or so. Right. Uh, that is well below last year's high, which was 1377. But if you see 1309 any time this year, uh, put your seatbelt on because we're going. Uh, hmm. The speed of the upside will will. I think, accelerate dramatically. And so we'll go into that next leg of the gold upside if we see 1309. Now, what's the high been since our recent low? 1220. So I'm talking about a number that's $89 above the recent high. Uh, in fact, I think this week's high, I think, was 1220. Mm-hmm. So uh, All right. it's not that right. far. Michael, just uh, with a minute left here now, I know mm-hmm. I think it was maybe the last, last week um, – or the last time we talked, that was last week we talked to you, and and uh, you were pretty bullish on uh, on the gold shares. I think you perhaps they're in mm-hmm. breakout mode now, eh? I think they're uh, the place to be still. Uh, we thought that late 2015 that f- for a change <laughs> the gold miners would be gold, 
And I still hold with that. I think that uh, this bull trend, now maybe there's some point down the road where gold will uh, do something and indicate that it's, it's going to outpace the miners. But right now the miners continue to do better than gold does. I hold with that view that if you want to be in gold, fine, but uh, gold miners are better percent gain uh, potential than gold is. All right. We'll have to leave it at that. Um, on that happy note, for those of us who are yeah. gold bulls, uh, gold share bulls, junior gold shares are on a tear today, that's for sure. Um, and it's, um, well, it's those of us, you know, we all like to see, we all like to make money, Michael, and we like to be on the right side of the market, which is why we like to have you uh, on our show, because you've been very helpful, I think, to me, I know to me, but I'm quite sure to a lot of my listeners, uh, and they uh, should go to MSA, OliverMSA.com to learn more about Michael's work and uh, and consider signing up to his letter. It's uh, it, it's not a freebie, uh, but you get what you pay for, as they say. So thanks again for being with us, Michael, and Great look to, to talk today. to you again, Thank hopefully you. next week again. All, all the best. That'd be good. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thank you. Well, folks, uh, don't go away. John Rubino will be with us, and we're going to talk about this uh, this issue, the uh, issue of the question of today's show is whether or not uh, who's going to win the big fight between Janet uh, Yellen and uh, President Trump, and that fight has to do with interest rates and a weaker dollar, a stronger dollar. Those issues, very, very important issues, and I think uh, with the uh, remarks today uh, from uh, uh, the uh, trade advisor uh, of um, uh, the Steve uh, Navarro, I believe his name is, uh, Donald Trump's trade advisor, um, talking the dollar down today and uh, well, this could be a precursor of, of what's to come. So we're going to get John Rubino's thoughts on that as soon as we come back from break, so don't go away. We'll be right back. The business community's first choice in Internet talk radio, Voice America Business Network. Novo Resources focuses on the exploration and development of gold projects. Its flagship asset is the Beaton's Creek Gold Project in Western Australia, where it is currently processing a 30,000-ton bulk sample. Novo also controls 100% interest in the Blue Speck Gold Antimony Project, where it is conducting a 10,000-meter drill program. The company has over $7 million in cash and enjoys strong shareholder support from the likes of Eric Sprott and Newmont Mining. It trades in Canada and the U.S. under the Symbols NVO and NSRPF, respectively. Dynasert is a global leader in carbon emission reduction technologies. Created for use in diesel engines, the hydrogen unit has been proven to reduce carbon emissions by up to 40%, increase torque, improve engine oil quality, and provide up to 19% in fuel savings. Our leading edge technology is designed for tractor trailers, rail, marine, and newly developed for diesel engine cars. Reducing the amount of greenhouse gases provides benefits to the environment, to communities and businesses, and to our shareholders. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You're listening.
listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times and Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm happy to have with me once again John Rubino. Uh, and um, just jot down the website for John Rubino. It's dollarcollapse.com, dollarcollapse.com. Go there and partake of a lot of the good things that John puts up there, um, a lot of articles, things he writes, other people write, um, and uh, you, you can't go wrong by doing that. So thanks for joining me again, John. Oh, sure, Jay. Good to talk to you. Hey, and, and be- before we start, I think yeah. your listeners should know how well the stocks that you're picking with your newsletter are doing. Oh, uh, well, I, I know I've they're been, doing well. <laughs> they, they really are rocketing. You're making people a lot of money. I, I've been trying to buy Golden Predator for oh, yeah. the last couple of months, and my, my first bid was like 40 cents a share. It is now over a dollar a share, so it's more than double just in the few months that I've been trying to buy the thing. So congratulations. You're doing all well, right. Well, thank you for that. And Golden Predator is a sponsor to this show. Um, I picked the sponsors for this show, the companies that, for the most part, the companies that I really like and companies that I've recommended. And I think Golden Predator is it's a remarkable story with lots of uh, heavy hitter, big money people in that story in that stock, uh, and it is really extremely high-grade, near-surface, um, incredibly high-grade stuff. So I, I think we're going to hear a lot more good news from them and, and several of the other companies that I have on my list as well. So thanks for that, John. I appreciate sure. that. It's always better to have someone else toot your horn than to try to toot it yourself, you know. So um, thank you for that. Sure. Well, anyway, um, John, you know, our question for the day is, you know, who's going to win the big, the big fisticuff between – President Trump and, and Janet Yellen, and, and I'm assuming there's going to be a fight. I don't know, maybe you don't think so, but I, I'm assuming there's going to be a brawl. Um, Trump is going to need a weaker dollar, I should think. He's going to need a weaker, he's going to need low interest rates. Uh, and if you get aggressive in that regard and, and pump huge amounts of money in, uh, the dollar might be weak vis-a-vis some of the other currencies. Um, the Fed doesn't want that, it seems, and besides, the Fed seems to be saying Hey, the the economy is really starting to re- respond to our wonderful stimulus, monetary stimulus, and now we're going to have to put on the brakes because otherwise you're going to have a runaway economy and runaway inflation. And uh, I don't really buy that one, but uh, the whole notion is that uh, if Mr. Trump wants to bring jobs, you know, wealth creating jobs back to America, uh, the last thing he needs is an extremely strong dollar. So. So what are your thoughts on this, John? Or, or First of all, let me ask you, do you think that the economy is really as strong as the Fed pretends it is or saying it is, and therefore higher rates are required? Well, the, the headline numbers look pretty good, but the headline numbers are untrustworthy, as your listeners know. You know, the unemployment rate and inflation and stuff like that. These, these aren't numbers that, um, that they can be compared to previous numbers um, throughout American history, because we're either we're calculating them differently, or they have ceased to mean the same thing that they used to mean. Mm-hmm. So it's hard to tell how well the economy is doing right now. Um, but I, I will say that there are are three basic kinds of stimulus. You can have 
fiscal stimulus where the government borrows and spends a ton of money, monetary stimulus where the uh, the central bank creates a lot of new currency and tosses it out there or forces interest rates down or does some other kind of monetary thing to stimulate the economy or a plunging currency. You know, if you devalue your currency, that's very stimulative. So they've got these three things out there that that they have to figure out how to reconcile because they're they're in some ways contradictory. You know, you can have monetary stimulus and fiscal stimulus, which would be the Fed cooperating with the central government to really stimulate the economy. You know, uh, Trump borrowing a ton of money and spending it, uh, yelling, cutting interest rates and printing lots of new dollars. That that would be incredibly stimulative. Um, and then the dollar would be the wild card in that because if it plunges as well, which you, you might expect with that kind of stimulus going on. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's really inflationary, which in the long run is is actually not stimulative because it, it pushes interest rates back up no matter what the Fed wants to do. And so that's that's like a big tax increase on everybody. So there are a lot of moving parts to this story. Uh, but it, it's interesting that for the past few years, Keynesian economists have been saying that, well, monetary policy had really run its course. You know, we've pushed interest rates down to near zero and and uh, we bought up most of the bonds that were available to buy within most major central bank territories. And so now it's time for fiscal stimulus. So it's interesting that the Republicans ended up putting somebody in charge who who is gung-ho for fiscal stimulus. <laughs> so it's interesting that we might see a changing of the guard in that way, that interest rates stay stable or go up a little bit, while the government um, borrows a lot of money and spends it, and we get our stimulus that way. So there's lots of ways to put this together. And I, I don't think it's necessarily um, a, a battle between Yellen and Trump, although their, their conversation um, has got to be um, awkward. You know, when those two sit down to talk, they have such mm. different personalities that it's hard to imagine them, uh, you know, being drinking buddies or anything like that. They, uh, they they just don't seem like they would get along well or get along comfortably. But oh, it, you Go ahead. Oh, okay. Well, I was, I was just going to say that uh, one way or another, we get stimulus going forward. I, th- I think that's pretty much a given around the world. You know, if... if um, we weren't actively stimulating the the major economies. They would slip back into a recession, which could easily metastasize into a depression. Um, you know, in the U.S., for instance, um, very quietly, the Obama administration borrowed over a trillion dollars in its last year in office. Yeah, that's a huge stimulus. That's a monster fi- uh, fiscal stimulus already. Right. But they they did it without any kind of an announcement. I think in part because they wanted to win this election coming right. up. And Governments tend to do that. They tend to stimulate the economy behind the scenes in order to get their people elected. Uh, it didn't work, but that was probably why they did it. And that's also probably why the numbers look pretty good right now. You know, the, the top line numbers in a lot of different sectors in the U.S. Are, are coming in stronger than people would have expected at the beginning of 2016. Uh, and a big part of that is because we borrowed a bunch of money and spent it. You know, there's nothing really mystical, magical, or surprising about how borrowed money increases economic activity, right? And the, the problem is that it only does so in the short run. And in the long run, it slows things down because you have to pay interest on that debt. And then you've got to pay the principal back at some point. So we're, we're basically borrowing from future growth when we borrow lots of money in the present. 
And we've been doing that forever, you know, and, and it, it, apparently we're accelerating the process now. Obama's last year was huge for borrowing. Trump's first year is probably going to be pretty big, too. Uh, so I, I think stimulus and the destabilizing aspects thereof are pretty much baked into this cake. You know, we're going to have um, increasing instability going forward just because all of this leverage was already unsustainable. If we're going to ladle more leverage on top of what is already, um, you know, globally speaking, uh, debt of 350% of GDP or 1,100% of GDP, depending on how you calculate debt, uh, that's already um, pretty much a guarantee of a gigantic financial crisis out there somewhere in the intermediate future. And if we're going to just put the pedal to the metal and keep on borrowing, then it's just going to be bigger when it hits. Yeah, well, um, the three different ways of stimulus, uh, for sure. But, you know, it, it, uh, it, I, I had to – I couldn't help but notice that Peter Navarro, who I guess is Trump's trade, uh, trade advisor, uh, suggesting that the euro was, was way too weak and needs to be, uh, it needs to be um, stronger. And I think Trump made some remarks yesterday suggesting that he sees both not only China but also Japan – as currency manipulators, those are sort of remarks that seem to set the really s- trigger a down downward trend for the dollar, fairly significant one today. And it's a, I think a point eight or so on the index. And gold, of course, has had a day; it's risen as much as twenty dollars at one point. I think today. Mm-hmm. Uh, what do you what do you attribute today's move to, John? Well, I, I don't know about today's move, bro. It, although it seems to be related to the uncertainties around some of Trump's policies, you know, the, mm-hmm. the, the banning of people from seven countries just out of the blue, and then then he fires the acting attorney general who refuses to enforce that rule. You know, that's the kind of thing that you would expect to spook markets, right? And to send money into safe havens, so that stocks went down and gold went up while all that was going on isn't surprising. You know, that, uh-huh. that's a pretty reasonable explanation for what's happening. But uh, as for the dollar, to understand where we are now, you got to go back a few years to when Europe was falling apart. Uh-huh. Uh, you know, three or four years ago, the Greek crisis was bubbling up and it really looked like Europe, uh, or, or at least the European project was on the verge of imploding. Uh-huh. And the only thing that they could really do to keep it together was to val- devalue the currency because that takes some of the pressure off of Italy and Spain and Portugal and, sure. and Greece. And so they did that. And they probably did it with the uh, the complicity of the U.S. You know, in other words, we took one for the team uh-huh. in order to keep the global financial system from imploding, beginning with Europe and then metastasizing around the world. Uh, but it came at a cost. The U.S. dollar is extremely strong. It's really the only, other than the Swiss franc, the only really, really strong currency out there. And that hurts our manufacturing and exporting companies who are reporting generally pretty bad numbers. You know, our our, um, earnings seasons are real adventures lately because company after company will come out with substandard numbers and they'll blame it on a strong dollar. Now, Trump sees that. As a business guy, you know, Trump doesn't like that, of course. He, he wants the, um, the financial conditions to be um, optimal for whatever kind of business he's looking at or thinking about. And a strong dollar is suboptimal for most kinds of major U.S. industries. So 
he's expressing something that most corporate CEOs probably express in the privacy of their own boardrooms, you know, that the dollar's too strong and we need to weaken it because these guys are getting a free ride out there, um, Europe and Japan and China. And so presidents in the past have been hesitant to say that because they don't want to crash the dollar. You know, that, that, that was something they wanted to avoid if they could. And they, they wanted to allow other countries to weaken their own currencies because they were seen, those other countries were seen as more serious risks than the U.S. was. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, Trump isn't playing by those rules. And he is apparently willing to take the risk that the dollar drops by 20 or 30 percent in the next couple of years. Um, that would be great for our exporting companies. Uh, it would be inflationary here in the U.S., so it would be great for gold and silver, uh, but it would be really, really scary for China and Japan and Europe because that means their currencies would be going up in value because currencies are just valued against each other, not against anything real other than gold. Uh, and so for the dollar to go up down means the euro and the yen and the yuan have to go up. Mm-hmm. And these guys are in no condition to, uh, uh, to, to manage a 30% increase in the value of their currency. That's potentially an existential threat to the Eurozone. And maybe China and Japan. You know, they're, they're both teetering on the edge financially. You know, we mm-hmm. could spend entire shows talking about the financial mistakes those guys have made. Uh, so they're, they're not in any kind of shape to, um, to, to sustain an adverse change in the terms of trade. And that seems to be something that Trump is trying to engineer. You know, if he spends mm-hmm. a lot of money here and talks down the dollar and convinces the Fed not to raise interest rates anytime soon, then presumably we'll get a, a stable to much weaker dollar somewhere in there. Mm-hmm. And it'll be at the expense of our trading partners. So this is this is an adventure <laughs> that we're entering into now. And I'm well, not this sure is, it's well understood. Yeah. It, it potentially trade wars and, um, you know, beggar thy neighbors sort of thing, which has been going on. But as you say, the, the U.S. has been willing and able to, uh, up until now at least, politically to take it. But now, um, you know, in rides Donald Trump on his white horse to protect the the jobs of Americans. And, um, yeah, it's, 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 it's going to be very, very interesting to watch and uh, very important, I think, to the markets that we watch as well. One analyst that I saw, you know, Trump is talking a lot about fiscal stimulus and all that, although I think when you look at a trillion dollars over 10 years, it's relative chump change uh, compared to what China spends on infrastructure and so forth, or what they have spent at least. Uh, Nonetheless, one analyst is suggesting that the more Trump pushes on the uh, fiscal accelerator, the harder the the Fed is going to hit the brake and and restrict uh, money supply. But on the other hand, uh, in reading an article that you wrote, I think earlier, what well, was on January 24th, titled 2017's Real Milestone or Why Interest Rates Can Never Go Back to Normal. Talk to us a little bit about the dynamics, why interest rates can never go back up to normal. Normal, I think, is something like, as you pointed out, uh, the average government rate paid back in 2000 was 6.6%. Now, who can imagine a 6.6% interest rate now for the government? But in any event, um, what are the dynamics in play here that um, might keep the Fed from wanting to battle Trump? I mean, aside from an economy that might just collapse. Yeah, well, the the amount of debt that we've taken on at the the federal level is really shocking. And and people don't seem to be paying much attention to it because it's become the new normal. But uh, under, under George W. Bush, his eight years in office... 
the federal government doubled the national debt, which means that he borrowed as much in his eight years as all previous presidents combined, from George Washington all the way up through Bill Clinton, Right. which seems like a, a, um, a record that won't be equal for a while, right? But Obama did it. Obama subsequently doubled the national debt in his eight years. So we, we went from um, $5 trillion to $10 trillion under Bush, then $10 trillion to $20 trillion under Obama. Now, we've done that with falling interest rates, so our interest costs have not gone up. But if we try to normalize interest rates, which is one of the goals of the Fed, you know, because they, they want interest rates to be high enough so that they got some room to cut in the next recession, and they want to be able to say, well, look, we're back to normal. What we did worked. So, uh, and, and you can tell that because everything, all the metrics are back where they used to be historically. Well, if we did that, that would basically triple the federal government's interest cost, which would bring it to about $1.3 trillion a year, which is pretty close to 30% of the entire federal budget, just going to interest. And that would require either massive tax increases or massive spending cuts um, to fund, or some kind of monetary stimulus, you know, a huge amount of borrowing financed with a lot of lot new, of new currency creation, which would put us right back where we were to begin with. Uh, and so if we tried something like that, if we tried to equalize interest rates, it would effectively bankrupt the government. And that's just the US. You know, We're in much better shape than, for instance, Japan, where if the Japanese government's interest rate just goes back uh, up to what we pay today in the U.S., up to 2% and change, um, their interest costs would exceed their entire federal tax revenue. So when you look at these numbers, you realize it can never happen. We can never go back there because we would be bankrupted by the transition. And so this talk of normalization, I, I, I think the best they're going to get is you know another percentage point or two up from here, if even that before the next recession hits. And then all bets are off. You know, we're, we're going to go into a recession next time around. And by the way, a recession is due. The average length of a recovery is around six years. And we're in the ninth year with this recovery. So if history is any kind of a guide, we've got another recession coming pretty soon just because of the, the general shape of the business cycle, you know, leaving aside all the other crazy stuff that, that might tip us into recession. And when that happens, then Government borrowing spikes again from wherever it is, you know, which means it'll go from a trillion dollars a year to two or three trillion in the U.S. Uh, interest rates will fall, and that means they'll fall from flat, from zero to negative rates in many places around the world into much more negative rates, and 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 so what we think of as more or less normal today is going to be swept aside by some serious monetary and fiscal experimentation where the numbers are bigger than they've ever been before. And we push the envelope. You know, we see what we can get away with and if we can get away with it. And my guess is that we won't be able to. You know, it seems like the uh, the next iteration of these experiments will, will be the last when this just completely blows up because the numbers will be just insane. You know, they'll be so huge that nobody will look at them and believe that we can manage it. Um, John, we've we've had this exponential growth in um, uh, in debt, as you pointed out. Uh, you know, from five to ten, and then ten to twenty under Obama. And and I have to ask, who's going to buy this stuff, especially if it's negatives and the, the negative rates? And and uh, the Fed doesn't want to hold all this debt on its own balance sheet. Who, where's who's going to buy it? Well, it'll be other central banks buying it, almost certainly. Uh, which, which means, in effect, we're just going to be financing 
the, the world's governments with newly created currency. In, in other words, just completely monetizing um, the, the governments of the world. And in effect, cutting out this, this middleman of issuing debt and giving it to banks and then buying it back from banks. You know, that's just a charade uh, that the governments of the world go through now to hide the fact that they're just financing themselves from newly created currency. Um, so when that becomes obvious to the rest of the world, that's another reason why, uh, you know, it's another catalyst for the next crisis. Uh, but there's no way to know exactly when it happens or exactly the shape of the crisis, just that something related to this is coming. And when it hits, it's going to be just huge. Yeah, just can't picture it. I mean, uh, uh, negative rates coming, John. Um, I mean, y- y- you're not going to get people to, uh, y- you're going to force people to, um, uh, you know, they're going to steal from our accounts or how are they going to finance this stuff? I just, I just can't picture it. Well, negative rates on a bank account is in effect you financing the federal government right. by giving them a little bit of your bank account each year. By theft. Yeah, by theft. And uh, yeah, negative interest rates are effectively theft, as is inflation. You know, a 3% inflation rate, let's say, which is kind of a target of theirs right now, means that um, 3% of your wealth in a bank account is taken away and given to the federal government to spend as they see fit. So all of these things are, in effect, secret theft. And eventually, people figure it out. You know, it's gone on longer than then a lot of people in the sound money community, including me, thought was possible. You know, I thought 2005 or so would be the end of this whole mm-hmm. um, scam. And it wasn't. We, may, we managed to do an entire new cycle with even bigger experimentation. So the, the next time around, there will be some new stuff. For instance, the central banks of the world will start buying equities, which Japan and Switzerland already do. Uh, they'll start buying corporate bonds, which the European Central Bank already does. And they'll push interest rates down as far as they can and then, and then declare some kind of war on cash where they'll, they'll make large denomination bills um, inconvenient and or illegal so that we're forced into electronic accounts where there are negative interest rates so they can harvest us. You know, all of that stuff will happen next time around. And so it becomes a question of whether people will put up with it. You know, will we accept this as we accept, you know, 0.05% on our bank accounts now? Will we accept negative 2%? Uh, will we accept $100 bills becoming illegal? And, you know, I, I suspect that we won't, you know, and that we'll start black markets and, and, uh, and start buying real assets with our paper currency. And, and you know, the, the Austrian economics crack-up boom will finally happen. Um. Yeah, it's a it's it's a frightening, uh, fright, frightening prospect, no doubt about it. Um, the negative, I mean, all those things you're talking about are very much in the in the works now. They uh, all there's are. There's no question yeah. about. It. They're all in the works now, so they're very well prepared for it. Um, you know, we're we're seeing the Trump revolution, which is a back, I think a back, a backlash against the establishment, against the stuff that's going on. I'm not sure that most of the people that voted for Trump understand. The reasons for why they're having trouble. I don't think they really understand the the, uh, the monetary um, foundation that that allowed this to happen. Very few people would understand the connections you and I understand so well. Uh, if we had a, an honest monetary system, none of these excesses could have gotten to these levels without uh, without the system breaking down or or, or correcting. Right? Yeah. Uh, if people understood how. Um a monetary system was supposed to work. We couldn't have gotten this far. <laughs> but, you know, things have been so good 
in the West or in the yeah. developed world in general for such a long time that it, it hasn't been necessary to really think about the ins and outs of money. Money just was the environment. It's just what it, dollars and euro and yen. That's just what is, you know. And and so most people go to their jobs, come home, have dinner, play with their kids or their friends, get up and do it again, and don't spend a lot of time obsessing over, you know, the nature of money and the role of the central bank and the federal government vis-a-vis the money supply, stuff like that. Uh, so we're going to have to educate ourselves over time in order to make informed decisions. But you know, that you're, you're seeing people buy gold and silver, for instance, at an accelerating right. rate. That's a sign that they kind of get it. Yeah. And a lot of the votes that were, were cast for Trump were by people who aren't necessarily, you know, obsessively expert <laughs> on monetary policy, but they saw that things were going wrong. And they, they heard somebody say that they were, you know, they weren't delusional, that things were really wrong and he would try to fix it. And that alone is a sign that we're turning a corner now because people get it. You know, people get that things aren't right. And from there, they'll think it through a bit and come to some conclusions about how, how it should be. And at that point, the whole, you know, Ron Paul sound money idea will become a little more marketable on, in the political marketplace. And we'll have a, a really interesting debate about the role of the federal government versus individuals and the nature of money and stuff like that. And hopefully, you know, sound money and um, individual freedom will win in the end. But um, it, it's going to be quite a battle on the way. Yeah, it's, it's going to be a battle. And when, and when pig, people are ignorant about the, the basics uh, of economics and, uh, you know, when they're, when they're led to believe through their university economics courses that you can create money out of thin air, uh, the Keynesian economic theories that suggest that you don't have to be, uh, that it doesn't matter, savings doesn't matter, um, time preference of money doesn't matter, you know, the, the realities, and, and that's why sometimes I think the, you know, the guys, uh, the rednecks, uh, sometimes in practical terms understand better about the, the way the world really works than the PhDs from Harvard, Princeton, and Yale. But in any event, uh, you know, in terms of what people should do now then in order to protect themselves, it seems to me one of the things that I've done, uh, John, on a very small scale because I'm just testing it out, is goldmoney.com. You know, you can take your money out of the banking system, uh, take what money you have before the government takes it all from you or starts to uh, negative interest rates, uh, take your money, buy some gold money, buy some gold, put it in a vault, and when you need to take it out to spend it, you sell the gold, put it into currencies, into U.S. dollars in my case, and load my debit card with uh, with U.S. dollars, and then go spend it as you need to, uh, but hold your savings in gold, and the people at Gold Money have shown out, you know, over in a short period of time, that may not work out, but longer term, even in U.S. dollars, as we know, as you and I know, I remember the days when gold was $35 an ounce. Certainly, over the longer run, the currencies are debasing, the best of them, including the dollar. Um, any thoughts about that? Is that one, one way people might look to do? You know, because you need liquidity at the same time, John. You know, I mean, you can't take the gold down to the corner store and buy a quart of milk or, uh, or whatever you need. You know, you, you need liquidity. So to be able to take it from gold money sell your gold in whatever amounts you need to, and then load your debit card and you've got dollars again. Thoughts about that? Yeah, I, I love the concept. I'm, I'm not um, technically proficient in how they're executing it, but the, the idea that, um, that you can move your gold across borders in a debit card is 
is a huge quantum leap in the usefulness of gold because that's one of the big problems with something like precious metals in general is that it's heavy and bulky and um, and, and it's hard to transport from one place to another. Mm-hmm. So it, it's a great store of value, but it's not the most portable store of value. So if gold money is making it portable, that's a really big deal, you know, and, and we'll, we'll see how they handle rising volumes, which they're seeing now, I guess they're growing yeah. pretty rapidly. So if their systems can handle it and over the next few years, they, um, they're, they're able to expand and manage all the transactions without a lot of glitches. This is going to be very big. You know, yeah. we'll, have, we'll have Bitcoin and um, digital gold yeah. as competing currencies out there that are non-national you know they, all right they john we're, subject- we're going to have to leave it go at that we're out of time now thank you so much for being with us uh and we look to do it again sometime in the near future thanks so much john great thanks well, folks that, that is all the time we have this week next week david stockman will be with us and uh, i hope that you know, he always has some pearls of wisdom and um you, you'll want to hear what david has to say about uh the new world under donald trump so we'll hope to see you next week until then goodbye and god's blessings to you Thank you again for listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor. Please join us again next Tuesday at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Dynasert is a global leader in carbon emission reduction technologies. Created for use in diesel engines, the hydrogen unit has been proven to reduce carbon emissions by up to 40%, increase torque, improve engine oil quality, and provide up to 19% in fuel savings. Our leading-edge technology is designed for tractor trailers, rail, marine, and newly developed for diesel engine cars. Reducing the amount of greenhouse gases provides benefits to the environment, to communities and businesses, and to our shareholders. Golden Predator Mining Corp., a well-financed gold exploration company operating in Canada's Yukon. Focused on advancing its Three Aces project, a high-grade gold project located in the southeast Yukon with gold and quartz outcrops at surface. Ongoing work includes trenching, road work, drilling, and bulk sampling. Golden Predator also holds the past-producing Brewery Creek project located near Dawson City, Yukon. Golden Predator, a company working closely with Yukon First Nations. Golden Predator trades on the Canadian venture market as GPY and in the US OTC market as NTGSF. Chilean Metals is a Canadian junior exploration company focusing on high potential copper, gold prospects in Chile and Canada. Chilean Metals Zulima property is a Candelaria-like prospect, one of the largest mines in the world. The company has begun its drill program in Chile on a Zulima property and should be completed by the end of February. We also own a 3% royalty on future production on Tech Resources Copa Query property, potentially worth millions of dollars annually. This is the time to invest in Chilean Metals, a discovery story with a hedge. Traded TSX Venture under symbol CMX.